My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, my name is James. I'm real thankful to be here. We're in the book of Acts. It's uh, one of the story Bible parts where you see a lot of action. Uh, Some of the Bible is some teaching and instruction. A lot of the Bible is just story. And this story is particularly exciting to me because it's the story of what happened after Jesus. You know, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's where I'm at in my Bible reading uh, as I go through the Bible every year. You see all these stories of Jesus on the earth, but the end of the story of Jesus according to those books, is that he dies on a cross, he's buried in the ground, he's resurrected, and then this other book called the book of Acts tells the rest of the story. He ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit descends, God, God's spirit comes down, dwells inside of followers of Jesus, and there's an explosion as the church is born. And we have seen over the last several weeks that from 120 to 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's an, it's incredible church growth. You can write a book on that, right? And, uh, and then we're going to see today that it gets up to 5,000. But along the journey, we're discovering that the message of Jesus is not always going to be received well. Now, let me ask you a question. When you think about your truth or your decisions for life, where do you go to rely on the information to make a decision? How do you make the decisions of life? Where is your truth source or whose opinion do you go by? I believe that there are a couple options. I've shared this a lot at Sunrise. I believe that on one hand, you could take a look at the culture. Uh, the culture is whatever is out there on television, whatever is out there, you know, on the airwaves, whether it's, you know, music you listen to, books, movies, things like that, television. Culture is everywhere. And I don't believe culture is necessarily good or bad. It just is. It's the air we breathe. It's the water we swim in. If you were to say, hey, don't ever expose yourself to culture, it'd be like moving to L.A. and say, I don't bl- breathe any pollution, right? Or fire smoke right now, you know. Culture is what it is. And, um, and you can easily, without even thinking, develop all of your belief systems based on the culture because that's how everybody does it in the world. It's just kind of taught. It's just, it's just lived. It's experience. Everybody's like that, right? Another true source, another place you could go to would be the church. 
And the church, uh, you know, is, and depending on what I mean by church, whether that's uh, Catholic church or Protestant church or mainline church or evangelical church, or, and if you don't know any of those words, don't worry about it, um, the church. Uh, the, the struggle with the church, though, as getting your true source from the church, is if you've paid attention over the years or if you've read any history, you know, the church sometimes gets it wrong. In fact, for about 1,500, maybe 1,000 years, the church got the whole message of following Jesus wrong. And it took uh, a guy that, by the name of Martin Luther who started a whole reformation to come back to it. But even today, the church can take a stand on an issue and look more like the culture than it should. So, and as much as I'm glad you're here at church, I don't want church to be your truth source. Because I believe the option that is best, the really the one that we should all be clinging to is Christ. Because when Jesus shows up and Jesus speaks, those words are from God because he is God. So you have to ask the question, really, truly, when you make a decision, when you have a thought, when you pursue something, have you ever evaluated why you do what you do? And if so, are you getting it because, well, that's what everybody does or that's what, I mean, hey, Jesus is king, right? Kanye is now a Christian. And so I'll believe anything that he says. It's not even really a good album, to be frank. Um, and so, you know, but it's like, well, there you go. You know, if back in my day when I was a kid, if Paul, if Paul would just believe in Christ, then the Beatles could lead a salvation message, right? Today, it's like Justin, but Justin did become a believer in Christ, you know? And now it's like Kanye. It's like, whatever, let's just redeem the culture. Well, that's possible at times, I guess. But sometimes you have to reject the culture because sometimes the culture stands in complete opposite to Christ. The struggle, though, and this is the tension, is how do you push back on that? How do you say no to that when that's what everybody else is saying? How do you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, say, wait a minute, I know that everybody loves this. Everybody talks about this. Everybody does that. But I can't. That's hard. And I think, again, the problem with the church is too many times, and we've seen this in history, too many times the church has slid a little bit over toward Jesus, but has kind of straddled the fence. And it's like, well... You know, we're going to change our understanding of things. And, you know, I, I've run into people who are followers of Christ who say, we're going to change our beliefs on, beliefs on things because we live in a different culture now. And yet, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, you have to be honest that he said some really strong things, some potentially really offensive things, some very loving things, some awesome things. But if you truly follow everything Jesus said, you will reject some of the things that the church today has come to accept and definitely some of the things that the culture has accepted. Now, when I'm not talking about people, though, please don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about rejecting people. Jesus loved the least, the last, and the lost. In fact, what infuriated the religious people at the time of Jesus was who he hung out with, the hurting and the broken. And I think you have to, I have to, we have to, as a father, my wife and I, as parents with our sons, you know, we think about this. We have to challenge ourselves towards the question, what do we base our decisions upon? What do we base our beliefs upon? How do we know the course and direction of our life? We've got to think about that because if we just drift along with the culture, which is what will happen, we will drift downstream. And it is exhausting to swim upstream. It is. It's challenging 
to stand up on solid ground when the water of the culture is rushing by and it gets higher and higher and higher and pretty soon you feel like here and you just want to you just want to chill for just a bit, right? Because you're, you're so tired of being that guy or that gal that's always on this message. And so if I just rest a little bit, well, the problem is you'll drift. And once you drift, it's really hard, I think impossible, to put your feet back down on solid ground. And so as narrow as what I just said is, I want to stand on what Jesus says. Now, I don't always understand what Jesus says. Some, some things are challenging. Most of it's super easy. But some things are really challenging in the sense that how do I live that out today? You know, what he says is pretty plain. But how do I incorporate that in my life today when he talks about money, when he talks about following? I mean, when, when followers of Jesus leave their boats and the catch of fish on the shore and they leave their families and they go follow Jesus. What does that look like today? How do I actually do that, right? I don't even have a boat. I don't enjoy fish. Fish sticks are great, you know, but, but like fish, I don't know, you know? What does it mean? Matthew goes and he's a tax collector and he gets up and leaves everything. Does that mean I should just walk away from all my money and leave it on a table? Is that, is that what Jesus is saying to me? So I get that actually incorporating the words of Christ are challenging, today, but understanding them, it's not so challenging. The question of where you get your truth is so important because we're going to address that today in a passage of scripture that I believe is going to be challenging to each one of us. In fact, as we think about these issues of do we base everything on culture or the church or Christ, I can stand here and say this is a challenging thing because I've lived a few decades. I, I know I don't look it, but I'm 102. You know, I feel it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going on 55, you know. And in my lifetime, in my lifetime, which isn't long, some of you are far older than me. Some of you can't imagine, you know, being the double nickel, right? But in my lifetime, the whole understanding of sexuality, sexual expression, sexual identity, Marriage, divorce, all that, all, you know, substance abuse, legalities of all that stuff. Everything is flipped around. And if you're younger, you just go, well, this is normal. Well, it wasn't always normal. You know, if you're older, you're like, I remember when I was a kid, you know. My wife and I went out with some friends last night. We were talking and, and he made the comment, man, I would have loved to have been alive in your era. Yeah, I know. I know. And, and he meant well, and I took it well, because I loved being a kid of the 70s. You know, I did. But it was a different world back then. My kids are growing up now, right? And some of you have different generational experiences. But if you lift up, you will notice, you will recognize that our culture has drifted further and further away from Christ, Right? Now, again, that shouldn't scare any of us. I think that's exciting because that gives us more opportunity to talk about the real Jesus, not just to go to church, right? Anybody can go to church and say they're a Christian. But now it's like our lives should be different, right? It should be actually, there should be something noticeable, a change in us. Now, why am I bringing all this up today? Well, Barna Research uh, just revealed that, and this is kind of not so complicated chart, you can see it there, that the generational differences in sharing your faith, elders, uh, you know, I'll let you decide who that is, people older than baby boomers, elders 
you know, they, they think that part of their faith means being a witness, 95%, which really hasn't changed. Boomers, uh, 95%, uh, Gen X, that's where I am, 97%, millennials, 96%. Being a part of faith means being a witness about Jesus. And the same thing would be true. The best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. Those are pretty standard, right? But look at the reality of the situation. Those who say it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with hope that someone of a different faith would actually one day share your belief. The elders 20, 19, 27 starts to grow with Gen X. Almost half of millennials, those born from 2000 on, almost half say it is wrong to share your faith. It is wrong to try to convert someone. It is wrong to do that. Now, that's, that's, a, that's, that's something that statisticians are studying right now because it's one thing to slowly grow, but to spike in just a few short years. What has happened? Well, when I was in college, I read a book by Alan Bloom called The Closing of the American Mind, and uh, it was a seminal book. It was phenomenal. It was kind of hard to read. As a college student, it was addressing American, the American university system, and he was prophesying about today. He was saying, this is what it's going to look like. And the basic summation of his book is that in the American university system, you're claiming that anything is possible. All options are on the table because all truth is equally valid. Okay? But by claiming that, we are actually losing our ability to have any critical thinking. It goes against all known logic, right? Oh, if you teach people that all kinds of options are there, then they'll have all kinds of options, right? That's actually not what happens, he says, and it's not what happened by the time we get to today. In a system where we're supposed to be encouraging growth through different opinions, that's the whole point of college and university, right? We're actually shutting down students' ability to judge. Remember, this is is the 1980s, okay? We are no longer allowed to disagree and therefore have closed our minds to anyone who disagrees with us. Now, I don't know if he knew how much a prophet he really was, He predicted today that if you were to walk onto an American university system into a college campus and you were to stand there and you were to stand up in such a platform, a podium and say, I want to tell you this way is the right way and any other way is wrong, you would be shot down, absolutely shot down. In fact, if you did not give people a trigger warning, they would go have to see their psychiatrist because you just hurt them, right? And I'm not exaggerating this, right? And if you do it in a religious sense, especially in a religious sense, that is known as hate speech today. That it is actually hateful to disagree with someone because you're denying their ability to feel. And in our culture where feeling is everything, how can you have any conversation? How can you have any disagreement? In the old days, and I mean for thousands of years, you had the Socratic method where you could argue a point and not take it personally. You wouldn't attack the person. You would attack the issue and you could debate it. But now you're not allowed to do that because if you disagree with me, you hate me. We've closed our minds to any critical thinking. Again, why do I bring that up today? Not just because I read a book 30 years ago, but because today we're going to hear Jesus utter hate speech. Check this out. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? 
Not, I am one of the ways. Not, I will show you the way. Not, when it comes to truth, I want to give you an option. One of the many paths to truth. Not, when it comes to life and discovering your true purpose in life, I'm one of the many ways you could do that, but there are a lot of other ways. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And if you didn't understand that, no one, no one that's exclusive. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, all roads do not lead to God. Whatever side of the mountain you go up, it won't eventually get to that old guy up on the top. You know what I mean? You're just on the wrong path. And that's arrogant for me to say that. I know that. It's very exclusive for me to say that. I know that. But, but I didn't say it. Jesus said it. And, and there's really no other way to interpret what he said. And there's really no other way to understand what he said than that there's no other way. That means no other way. Because if you study the original language, it means there's no other way. There's no other way to interpret this except there's no other way, right? What do you do with that? How do you wrestle that to the ground when you want to live your life as a follower of Christ or maybe a churchgoer and you look around and you adopt a lot of the things in the culture and, you know, you accept people and you want to love people in the culture and yet you want to pull them to Christ and that's offensive. What do you do with that message? Well, we live in a pluralistic society. Uh, In 1971, Canada Uh, declared that their country would be a pluralistic community. What that means is that we accept all, which we should. We welcome all, which we absolutely should. But that becomes part of who we are. The great American melting pot extends up to, you know, our northern neighbors, right? Which, and again, there's nothing wrong with that because we have people of all different faiths right in our community, We have people that are Muslims and that are Hindus and that are Buddhists and on and on and on, right? And atheists and agnostics and, and, you know, that's great. That's awesome. I love the culture we live in, the world we live in today. The reason I love it is because God is bringing everybody to us, to our doorstep. And our neighbors now are no longer on the other side of the world. They're next door. But how do we share this very challenging message of Jesus, this exclusive message? Well, the fun thing is this, is if you want to study this in the book of Acts, you'll see this. It's no different than what Peter, James, John, early followers, the Apostle Paul, it's no different world than what they lived in. They lived in a very pluralistic society. They lived in a society where there were many options, many gods. In fact, the society of that day said basically you could have all of your options and accept them all. But that's not what they did. They went in and said, those are some interesting options. Okay, can I tell you they're wrong? That was not a well-received message. You're going to see that today. The Apostle Paul, we'll see in months to come in Acts 17, goes up to Athens, goes up to the Acropolis, and he stands there, and he sees all the idols, and then he finally gathers all these uh, philosophers, the thinkers of the day, and he says, hey, I notice you have a lot of gods. In fact, all these idols, you know, 
are representative of your faith, you even have one just to cover your rear end in case you don't catch one to an unknown God, okay? And he uses that as a bridge to say, let me tell you about that unknown God. He's actually the God, and there's no other way. That was not well received in the culture of the day. Wasn't received well in the Greek culture, wasn't received well in the Jewish culture. The message of Jesus will not be received well in our current modern American culture. But that doesn't mean it won't change lives. And that doesn't mean it's not worth declaring with all your heart. We just have to know how to love people and be sensitive to people. I, I, I know, I know, I know the bumper sticker says coexist, right? Sure, why not? Absolutely. But that's not the same as saying co-equal. There's a difference between the two. I mean, back at the time of the Bible, the stuff we're reading today, everyone can believe whatever they want. I mean, there were so many gods. There were gods of different cultures, gods of different cities, gods of different trades. You know, if you were an Intel engineer, you would have your own god and you would pay dues to your guild. If you were a school teacher, you'd have your own god and you would pay dues to your guild. And, you know, whatever it was, if you were, uh, you know, a bricklayer, you would have your own god. And everybody had gods. Families had gods. You'd bring your gods with you. There was a plethora of gods and that was accepted as long as you didn't say one was better than the other and then Jesus followers come in and say we're not saying that we're actually saying all your gods are wrong (laughs) all your gods aren't even gods they're fake in fact Paul says all your gods are from demons okay don't try that at home children okay and and uh, I've got the true God but that's the only way people came to saving faith in Jesus Christ Once again, you and I live in a pluralistic world. How do you share John 14, 6 in a pluralistic world? We are increasingly told that we can no longer make a truth claim. Which isn't logical because that's a truth claim, right? Think about it. We're increasingly told that all options are available, except not your option of being no options, We're increasingly told that we must be incredibly inclusive of every belief system. Accept your belief system because it's exclusive. We're increasingly told that we are to be tolerant of everyone, except of people that are intolerant. That's not logical. That is not how it works. But that's the culture we live in today. And I think it's exciting I think it's awesome because you and I now get to share Jesus. Now, I, I imagine some of you are going to be offended by what I say today. But I want to tell you this. If you're not offended by what I say today, you're not listening to me. Everyone should be offended by what I'm saying today. In fact, I'm offended by what I'm going to say today. <laughs> because the message of Jesus is offensive. Let's just be honest. The fact that he declares that we are all lost, spiritually broken from God. That we are all sinful creatures, not on some self-improvement plan. That won't work. Not go get a self-help book from the bookstore. That won't work because there are no bookstores anymore. Amazon, okay? Not that if, with, if we just watch enough Oprah or Dr. Phil, we can feel good about ourselves. No, no, I'm, I'm not against those people. The reality is, is that the message of Jesus is highly offensive, but that's the point. The only way we would ever change our way is if somebody speaks truth, 
And if, if it's not an offensive message, I don't think you're hearing what Jesus is saying. Because unless you are faced with the reality that you're broken, you're lost, sin, dysfunction, disrepair, that we don't follow God's standards, we don't even live up to our standards or other. If, if we don't accept that fact, we can't accept the truth that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father, you know, to have a right relationship with God except through him. Well, you know what's offensive? Here's something that's offensive, and Jesus was pretty clear on it. If you die in your sin, meaning reject him, you die eternally in a fiery lake of furnace. That's pretty offensive. I don't like that part of the Bible. If I could get my black highlighter out and highlight some parts out, I would, I would do that one, certainly, because that doesn't appear loving. How could a loving God ever, right? Well, but he said it, and I don't think he was confused. If you're not offended by that, see me afterwards. I'll tell you a whole lot more offensive stuff Jesus said. But it's only because he loved us that he spoke these words. It's only that because he cares for us and because he is the way, the truth, and the life, he wants us to experience all of those. He wants us walking the way. He wants us experiencing and understanding and finding freedom and truth. And he wants us getting true, abundant life. And the only way for that to happen is if we're smacked in the face with the reality that we're not getting it by our own way. And in fact, our own way has pretty much blown everything up. And we're not going to fix it. We can't fix it. But Jesus did it for us. Now that's offensive. But I had to accept that. You have to accept that. You don't. You can reject it. But if you reject it, then you will be rejected. Man, that's offensive. You're not like, some of you just don't like me today. I thought it was nice James here. No, it's not nice James today. It's just Jesus. Now, Again, why do I say all that? Because I want you to see it in the Bible. Now, in Acts chapter 4, we're going to look at the first 22 verses. It's a big, long story, so we're going to read it rapidly and go through it. It's a follow-up to last week in Acts chapter 3, which that should have been funny, because Acts chapter 4 follows Acts chapter 3, okay? All right, it's not caffeine time yet. Uh, Let's jump in here. So the idea is that last week we saw that Peter and John healed a man in the name of Jesus who was lame for 40 years. He was born this way. He couldn't walk. He was carried in. And and they just said, hey, it's in the name of Jesus that this happened. And they celebrate this. We talked about this last week. Okay. So let's pick it up. It says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they're there in the temple complex in Solomon's Colonnade. I showed you pictures last week, right? They're in the temple. They're talking all about Jesus, about how this guy came to life. You know, they were confronted by the priests the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees are people that don't believe in a resurrection. That is why they were so sad, you see, Um, because they have no hope in the next world. All right. Uh, The captain of the temple guard, they're like the chief of the police up there. You know what I mean? They're they're the campus police. And the priests, who are the priests? They were the people that put Jesus to death. Okay, very important. These people have a lot at stake right now. Okay, these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. Again, they're Sadducees. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. In other words, because Peter and John declared this message, they were thrown in jail. 
Not the first time, not the last time. Oh, it's the first time, but not the last time. But many of the people who had heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000, which means just men counting just men. So women and children, 15,000 or whatever. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. They had met in Jerusalem, all those people a while back and decided Jesus had to die and they sent him to the cross. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas. Those were the people that committed Jesus to death. So these people have a lot to lose. They have a lot at stake in this conversation. John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest, they brought in the two disciples, uh, Peter and John, and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Stop for a second. Do you, go back. Stop for a second. Do you realize, let's go back to that slide. There we go. By what power and whose name have you done this? Do you realize that they don't question the act? Because they can't. It's staring them in the face. They can't question the fact of what happened. They can't. They can't question. In fact, if you go back into the story of Jesus, I just read it. Lazarus was dead four days. One day longer than the Jewish people believed that breath could possibly stick around. Okay? He was dead dead, 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 four days dead. And they couldn't question it because everybody knew he had died. And so they never questioned Jesus' miracles. They always questioned by what power he got his, and that's why they said he's filled with a demon, he's a Beelzebul, he's the Lord of the flies, right? That's where Jesus, he gets his power from Satan. They always questioned that or by what name, what authority? And Jesus says, well, I get it from the Father. That's not valid, you have to have two. Well, me and the Father. Like, that doesn't make sense. It's like, well, argue it all you want. How do you show evidence of all these miracles? Same, same thing going on here. Okay, let's jump ahead in the story. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected, that means you guys, you rejected him, has now become the cornerstone. Here it is. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. One translation says they're just unschooled fishermen, and we've gone to all the universities, right? And they're blowing us away with their logic and their, and their spirituality. It doesn't make any sense. They're just ordinary people with no special training. They're just sunrise people that have never been to Bible college. It doesn't make any sense. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Oh, that's a good thing. Spending time with Jesus changed them, right? You might want to write that down. That's a good thought. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there right among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. Like, I don't know. What are you going to say? It's kind of odd. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign. And everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. To which you think, so let's repent and receive Jesus too. No, that's not what they did back at Jesus' time. They had to kill him because he was a threat to their system, to their religion, to their power, to their money. And so they said, well, what are you going to do? Well, 
Let's keep them from spreading their propaganda. I love that. Any further propaganda. We must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. Close quotes. Do you think they really thought that was a smart conclusion? Seriously? Okay, so they called the apostles back in, this is Peter and John, and commanded them to never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus, all right? So what happens? Peter and John go, okay, no. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Remember when we started this whole journey of witnesses? All the witnesses is just tell people what you've seen and heard, that's it. You don't have to know everything, you don't have to understand everything. But just tell people what you've seen and heard. Show your life as an example. That's it. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, telling people everywhere about what you've seen and heard about me. That's all I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to be a pastor. I'm not asking you to be a theologian. I'm not asking you to be a Bible professor at a seminary. I'm just asking you to have an experience with me, spend time with me, and you as an unschooled, ordinary person will get all the knowledge you need because my spirit will speak into you and through you and your life change will be an example and all you're going to do is tell people what you've seen and heard. That's all you need to do, all right? That's evangelism class. We're done, okay? That's it. Just tell people what you've seen and heard. Your own experience with Jesus talked about that, okay? The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of the man who had been lame for more, here it is, than 40 years. Now think about this. They said something very offensive in the midst of all that. I hope you caught it. There is salvation in no one else. That means your religious system, it doesn't work. Your way of getting to God, I know you have all the power. I know you have all the authority. I know you have all the money. But none of that impressed God in the first place. You know what impresses God is a broken heart, a repentant heart, a contrite heart. That's what moves Father God. Jesus isn't one of many ways to God. He's the only path to God. That's what they're saying. And that's very offensive today. It's very offensive. Today, people tell us we can't say that anymore. You can say that you can follow Socrates or Plato or Abraham or Moses or Buddha or Muhammad. You can follow all those, but you can't say that your way is superior to those ways. You can believe in Jesus, but you can't believe Jesus is better than any other belief system. It's very important to understand this. But here's the thing. According to Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says it this way. There is salvation in no one else. There's no other way to understand that except that. It's what, exactly what it says. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And that means, as offensive as this is, the name Muhammad, the name Joseph Smith, the name Buddha, or any other name, is not a name to rest your life in, at least your eternal life, definitely, right? And again, that's offensive. I quoted this uh, back when we were doing the Galatians series, this quote, I love it. Toyohiko Kagawa was a Japanese Christian leader who said it like this. I'm grateful for Shinto, for Buddhism, and for Confucianism. I owe much to these faiths. Yet these three faiths utterly failed to minister to my heart's deepest needs. I was a pilgrim 
journeying upon a long road that had no turning. I was weary. I was footsore. I wandered through a dark and dismal world where tragedies were thick. Buddhism teaches great compassion. But since the beginning of time, who has declared this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many under the remission of sins? Islam, of course, proclaims the mercy of God. Each chapter of the Quran is introduced by the words in the name of Allah, the compassionate, the merciful. But they do not tell of a costly and historic display of God's mercy as portrayed by the cross and spoken of in each gospel. In Islam, Allah is merciful to the meritorious, those who pray, give alms, and fast in Ramadan. In Christianity, God is merciful to sinners, not because of their good works, but because of Christ's sacrifice for them on the cross. Now, maybe Jesus was right, or maybe Jesus was wrong, but he couldn't be both. He didn't give options to be an option. You can't put Jesus on the level of every other religious leader because he said he wasn't on the level of every other religious leader. He declared himself to be the way, the truth, the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through him. Wasn't one God among many gods. If he's not the son of God, then he's a liar. Right? He's a liar. And we can all go home. You don't have to come to church anymore on Sundays. We'll sell the building and we'll make it a spirit of Halloween store, you know? Because those are popular right now. And then it'll become a Christmas store. And then who knows? We'll do something, you know? Your money's better suited somewhere else. If Jesus is not the Son of God, if he's a liar, we can all go home. But if he is who he said he is, and that's the crux of the matter, if he's the Son of God, if he did die on the cross, if he did rise from the grave, if he did those things, then he is far superior to every other belief system. This is, this is tough, but spiritual beliefs are not subject to subjective reality. <laughs> they're either true or they're false. If it is just a matter of subjectivity, then believe whatever you want and die however you want to die. But if there's any objectivity at all, if there is a right and wrong, then you better get this right because your whole eternity is at stake, my friends. And that's a long time. So how are we to live in a peaceful manner in a pluralistic society, which we're called to do? It doesn't come by checking your brains at the door and not thinking about it anymore. It comes by loving people. It comes by serving people. It comes by shining the light of Jesus in you and through you. Again, look at this, this last part of the book of Acts. It says, Peter and John, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than men? That was pretty arrogant to the religious people. But they, res- they replied tit for tat on this one, okay? But we can't stop telling about everything we've seen and heard, right? This is, this is it. Jesus told us we can't stop it. I think some of us have stopped it. Some of us out of fear have stopped telling people what we've seen and heard. Some of us, because we don't think we have enough knowledge to answer every objection or every question, have said, I think I'm going to stop telling people what I've seen and heard. He says here, the council was threatened them further, but they finally let them go. Why? Because everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. You know what? One of the best witnesses for Jesus is your life. I hope it is, right? I hope mine is. The best witness for a changed life is a changed life. I was talking with a friend of mine, dear friend, and got to lead him to Christ a couple years ago, and, and he was just sharing about the reality that people are seeing it. 
After a couple years, they're like, what's up with you? It's the one thing to kind of jump into the Jesus thing and then you'll fade out of that. But your life's actually different. Huh, when your life is different, what are you going to do? The religious leaders couldn't deny that. People can't deny that. Is your life different? I mean, if Jesus is real, if he's important, if he's first in your heart and your mind, then you're going to have to be like the first century followers. You're going to talk about Jesus in the normal conversations of life. We talk about sports. We talk about weather. We talk about everything, right? Politics in the normal conversation of life. It's how we start conversations. But do we ever get to Jesus? It should be a natural part of our conversation at the right time, in the right place. We have questions and answers going on. I know, but, but I don't know enough, James. Man, I feel that way. And I have degrees. I have pieces of paper hanging on my wall that cost me a lot of study and a lot of money, right? I don't know everything. I don't have answers to a lot of questions. But all I can do is just tell people what I've seen and heard and spend time with Jesus. Same thing for you. It's good to get more information. It's really good to get more information. It's good to have a plan of how you share it. Absolutely good. But spend time with Jesus and Jesus will overflow into your life. I mean, these people were fearless. These people were confident. These people were articulate. These people were passionate about proclaiming what Jesus had done for them. Is that the same for you? And if not, maybe he hasn't done that for you. And you're still just a churchgoer and not a follower of Christ. One of your greatest testimonies is how your life has changed. Is there any undeniable fact that you're different today? Your life is actually different? Can you stand there and say, you know, I don't know a lot, but I know this. In fact, this is all I know. I was blind and now I see. That's my whole story. People can't deny that when they see it in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, um, now I do, and I don't mean it tongue in cheek, I do hope this message is offensive because it flies in the face of the thought that we can have as religious people that we can earn our way to salvation. That we can just do one more thing or many more things and be okay. Or... For other people, the thought that any way is fine. Whatever way you sincerely follow as long as you're sincere. But that's not what Jesus said and those aren't the options he gave us. So either you are real and we're not just praying to the ceiling or we're liars. Or maybe we're saying, yes, I believe it. And I receive that offensive message Because it's not just the sin in my life that's offensive. (laughs) Your grace pours out so much that it offends other people because you would save a wretch like me. Not religion, but a broken heart. If that's us today, Father, may we call out to you and cry out to you and say, I want to receive Jesus Christ. I believe that you sent him to die for my sins And I receive this message. The Bible says if we do this, we become a child of God, a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Otherwise, we're just stuck with our religion, which will fail us throughout life and most importantly on the day of our death. 
God, may we be so enraged by this message to either accept it or to reject it outright and have a conversation about why this is so stupid. Because that just might open up our heart to the reality. May we wrestle with this to the point that we can't just keep it in, but we must tell others what we've seen and heard. And our life is the testimony. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.